But that's what was so fun about working on that show is you're just laughing the whole time. Yeah. Steve Carell can just reduce me to tears. I mean, as the character, <laughs> anything he does, but especially as the character of Michael Scott is, you know, yeah, it, it, was, it was hard and I ruined a lot of takes. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to Collector's Gene Radio. I'm your host, Cameron Steiner, and I'm joined by my co-host and brother, Ryan. This is all about diving into the nuances of collecting and ultimately finding out whether or not our guests have what we like to call the collector's gene. That's right. And as always, please subscribe and leave a review for us. It truly helps. We hope you enjoy the pod. Let's go. Our guest today is someone you probably know from the movies and TV series, Bridesmaids, The Office, Freaks and Geeks, The Heat, Spy, Heavyweights, Welcome to Flatch, The School for Good and Evil, A Simple Favor, the list goes on. But what you might not know about director and actor Paul Feig is that he's got an extensive suit and walking stick collection. In fact, he's one of the few left in Hollywood that still dresses up for work every day, no matter what the movie set looks like. On the heels of launching his new cocktail book titled Cocktail Time and his gin arting stalls, Paul has really created a life around the things that he loves. I mean, just check out his spread in the Rake magazine. We had a great chat and probably could have used at least another hour, but who knows, maybe we'll do something a little different next time. Without further ado and great honor, this is Paul Feig for Collector's Gene Radio. Paul Feig, welcome to Collector's Gene Radio. How you doing? I'm very good. Thank you for having me on. Oh, absolute pleasure to have you on. When I started this podcast and got to learn a little bit more about you, as, you know, I, I've known you as, as what you do in your professional life, but as I got to know you more through the things that I love, um, this was supernatural. But I think um, we have to start off definitely by mentioning the new book before we forget, Cocktail Time. I just got my copy the other day. Oh, okay. Excellent. That was kind of based off of the the videos that you were doing during quarantine that pretty much kept us all drunk for for a year or two. <laughs> that was my goal. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was really inspired by that. You know, it really kind of started people were, you know, when I did that Instagram live show for 100 days in a row, um, people just kind of contact me like, oh, we didn't write down the recipes. Can you just put them out in something? So I just wrote them down and then just started going, well, I can't just put out a book of recipes. So then just started writing kind of funny personal stories about each drink. And then then it kind of ballooned into advice on how to throw a cocktail party and how to set up your bar and, and all that. And so it was really fun. I mean, if, if, honestly, if, if anything, it's almost probably the more memoirish than anything else I, in personal than anything I've ever written, just because it's, you know, it's sort of my philosophy of life with cocktails and, and adult grown up fun, if you will. And I think the best part about it that really differentiates itself from a lot of the other books within that realm is that you tell a story for each cocktail. And I, I find that to be, uh, it kind of makes it like more of like a heartwarming book and, and less of a book that you just keep on your bar cart and more of something that you want to keep looking back at and, you know, maybe making your own memories too and, and whatnot. But in, in between all that, you also launched your own gin, Arting Stalls. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Or Arting Stalls, a brilliant London dry gin is my, uh, 
is my gin. Uh, the, yeah, I mean, we've been working on it for got six years now, and it's it's out. It's just kind of slowly getting out into the world. It's in you know we're all over Florida and Texas right now, and like Louisiana, I think we're in there, and we're we're coming into California. But you know, if you go to artingstallsgin.com, you can mail order it from from a lot of places. But you know, I won't I won't be happy until we're in every store in the land. Uh, but we're also penetrating into um, <laughs> the UK too. So we just got a new distributor there. So you know, and that's a great gin market in, in, uh, over there. Yeah, they like they like their gin. <laughs> that's great. Well, um, I wanted to make sure that we we talked about that first before we we forgot because there is a lot to talk about today. But for most people that know you, they know you for movies and and TV shows like Bridesmaids and The Office and Spy and The Heat and my personal favorite heavyweights. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> but what? A lot of people don't know about you is that you are probably best dressed guy in Hollywood and you're, you're bringing old Hollywood back. I feel like that's your mantra. Uh, trying. Yeah. You know, I love those old pictures of, uh, you know, all the old directors. I mean, Hitchcock and John Ford and Howard Hawks and all them, you know, and you see those pictures from the sets in the thirties and forties and the people were wearing suits and ties. The, the crew guys had like a tie on and their sleeves rolled up and trousers. And, uh, yeah, I just thought it was cool. Like I always kind of, when I watch a movie, you go like, Oh, I kind of wish everybody be, when, I, I, I'd like to think everybody who made the movie kind of looked cool while they were doing it, not just guys in sweatpants and shorts and all that kind of thing. And and what made you want to bring that back and, and be that person? Because it's really not common now. No, it's very not common. Hardly any of us do it, really. There's a few of us, I think, uh, you know, like Darren Aronofsky and, uh, and uh, Chris Nolan and Sam Raimi. I just, it, it, it feels unnatural to, you know, when you're the director, you're the boss, you know, and you're in charge of all these people and you're in charge of the, you know, captaining, captaining the ship. And, uh, you know, I always say if I get on the ship and the captain was wearing sweatpants, I'd get off the ship. Um, you know, so <laughs> it's really it's a sign of respect for who you're working for. It, it, it makes me feel more in charge. It makes me look more in charge. And I just don't feel comfortable in really casual clothes, especially when I'm working, uh, you know, right. so, so it, it's fun. It, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a uniform of sorts, but it's, you know, it's a ever changing uniform because I got a million different suits. Yeah, it's so funny. I, I remember um, with my, my middle brother, he works in your industry in Los Angeles. And um, I remember one of his first jobs forever ago, I was, I was visiting him in LA and he had a bunch of interviews in, uh, in Hollywood for some PA jobs. Mm-hmm. And he put, he put a suit on for the interviews and they grilled him so hard for his outfit. <laughs> yeah, I remember that I he was so upset. It was like, it, it reminded of us of the, uh, the scene in Step Brothers when they wear the tuxedos to the job interview. <laughs> well, that but that's kind of what I, you know, my my big issue with L.A. is, is that they would give somebody a hard time for doing that, you know, because, you know, it, it's what I, I call out here uh, the, the tyranny of the casual, which is, you know, it's like, Oh, if you if you try to dress nice, clearly you don't understand that out here it's very casual and it's cool to not dress up. And it's like, ah, fuck that. I don't like that. You know, I like, <laughs> yeah. I like people dressing up. Like, what's the problem with, you know, if a, if a cat wants to show up in a suit, man, then then like let him do it. You know, it, it's it's up right. to him if he's if he's, you know, if he's willing to get it dirty or whatever, if he's got to run around, so be it. But um, no, they really, you know, that happened to me. I mean, the, for me, it was I, I would. um 
you know, when I was doing Freaks and Geeks and all that, you know, I was kind of reconnecting with sort of a past that I never had. Like, you know, when I was in high school, actually, I actually dressed really nice. But for some reason, since I was working, you know, this thing with the Freaks and the Geeks and all that, I, you know, was wearing jeans and a T-shirt and, you know, just like an Oxford shirt over the top or whatever, very casual, and would go to these meetings after Freaks and Geeks was gone, you know, for another shows and things I was pitching. And I'd be, you know, my jeans and that whole outfit, but all the, the executives would be in suits and ties. And I was like, I don't like this power dynamic where I'm the clearly the sort of the artist who's begging for them to make a project and they're sitting there all cool. So I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to start wearing a suit and tie again. That's what I used to do when I was younger. And so I went and got a bunch of suits and showed up at these meetings. And for some reason, the minute I showed up at those meetings, all these executives decided they were going to wear jeans and T-shirts and tennis shoes. So the first time I walk in, I'm in a suit. They're not. And of course, I become the weirdo. You know, because like, oh, clearly you don't know. And it's like, well, you changed the rules just like a week ago. So don't make me feel like a dummy. But then I was like, you know what? I don't like, I like the way I look. I think I look like an adult. You guys look like, you know, you're, you know, you're you're trying to look younger than you are. So, you know, who's the dummy? So I just said, you know, screw it. I'm just, I'm just gonna stick with the suits. (laughs) So what was the, the point in your life where you realized that you love suits so much and that when you grow up, you want to wear suits and, and, and be an adult essentially. Well, I mean, when I was really young, uh, you know, I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an adult. I, I, I didn't like, you know, I mean, I liked other kids, but I didn't necessarily like, you know, being a kid, uh, you know, and I'd watch TV, you know, and anything like with kids in it, like kids program programming, I just had no interest in. I wanted to watch adults, you know, I liked watching Monty Python and there's these, you know, really funny adults being weird, but they're wearing suits and ties and, you know, formal uh, British, you know, uh, bowler hats and all that kind of thing. And also, I was a big Groucho Marx fan and had read a, a biography about Groucho. Yeah, when I was a kid and it said that Groucho never trusted a man who didn't dress well. So, you know, onto that, I'm like, Oh God, well, I, I must dress well so that Groucho <laughs> I gotta Marshall would like me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and then I'd watch a lot of old movies with my mom from the thirties and forties and Cary Grant and, you know, Fred, Fred Astaire and all that. And it just all kind of made me go like, Oh God, look at that. The, these people look so good. Like this, that looks cool. You know, Cary Grant, like in his girl Friday, where he keeps buttoning this like double breasted suit looks like the coolest guy in the world. It's like, I want to look like that. I don't want to, you know, look like a teenager or whatever. And so, yeah, so it kind he of decided, was the coolest guy in the world. <laughs> he really was. I mean, yeah, yeah, God, I mean, him, him. And then like Marcello Mastriani, when, you know, you watch like eight and a half or Dolce Vita or any of that stuff, you know, these are just cool guys and they just kind of owned it. They, you know, they're also, you know, really handsome, which is something you know, I don't have going for me, but, but the, the suit makes you look <laughs> a little bit better. I'll tell you that much. It always helps. It always helps. It always helps. It's, you know, the frame is as important as the, is the painting. Do you remember what your first suit was that you ever got in that, that moment of, of getting ready to put it on for the first time? And whether you were six years old or 35, feeling like an adult, like you had remembered that you wanted. Yeah, I, I was, I think I was like eight or nine. And it's probably when I read that book <laughs> and about Groucho. 
And so I said to my mom, I want, you know, I want to get a suit. And she was like, oh, great. You know, I was an only child. So I was definitely had that relationship with my mom where she would, you know, kind of a little Lord Fauntleroy a little bit. Um, <laughs> so she packed me into the car and we went off to the good mall. We went all the way across the other side of Detroit to this place called the Somerset Mall, which was where all the fancy stores were like Lord and Taylor and, and Saks Fifth Avenue and all that. And so we went in, I think it was at Saks and uh, saw this in the, you know, the, the boys department, a, um, Pierre Cardin three-piece suit, with, which was kind of this big kind of like plaid thing that was very 70s, very like Johnny Carson in the day, if anyone <laughs> remembers who he is. Uh, of course. Any of the old, older folks, exactly. Um, yeah, I remember getting that and putting it on and just feeling like a million bucks. Like, wow, this, you know, I look cool. You know, I, I probably look like a ventriloquist dummy, but I thought I looked really <laughs> cool. But my father was infuriated because, you know, he's so mad at my mom about it. He's like, you know, he's going to grow out of it in three months and how much of that cost and blah, blah, blah. And he's right. I did grow out of it pretty quickly, but man, I was like, I ruled in that suit for the three months that I could wear it. But isn't that kind of like the best part about suits is that that same feeling that you had with the first suit of feeling like a million bucks, you get that feeling still each time you get a yeah. new suit, I'm sure. Cause I get that feeling. Oh, totally. I mean, I, I get it every time I put on a suit every, every in the morning. You know, I just it, it. I just feel better. You know that. You know the days that I'm casual or you know either working at home writing, and so I'm like, you oh, know, just keep jeans and a you know, flannel shirt on or something. I, I just don't feel. I feel different. I mean, I'm comfortable, but you know, I would never venture out of the house like that. I, I remember. I remember one time, like when I went back to wearing suits right around that time I was telling you about when I was out pitching after Freaks and Geeks and, um, you know, it was wearing suits all the time that for some reason I, I just was, I don't know, I went out with my wife in like jeans and, you know, very casual and we we're walking around like the Beverly Center and I remember getting in a really foul mood and she was like, what's up? And I was like, I I feel like I feel unsuccessful again. <laughs> like to me, <laughs> like I, I, I equate being casual with the years when I was a struggling actor and a struggling stand-up and you know a struggling writer, you know, and, and dressing kind of down and going like, no, now that you know things are going better, you know, the time it was right after Freaks and Geeks, so you know, things were pretty, you know, were weren't bad. You know, I'd had some success, and it just felt like such a backslide to not be in my <laughs> in my suit. So, I mean, that's why I, I'm. You know, even when we go on vacation, I'm always have you know a, a jacket and, and usually a tie on, just you know, in a more kind of a you know, vacation wear, but still. You know, it's it, I, I wrote an article for, for Esquire years ago uh, called "Responsible Tourism," and it was basically saying when you go when you travel to somewhere beautiful, like in Italy or whatever, you know, you are, you are part of the, the, the scenery. Now you are an extra in other people's movies of their vacation, you know? So sure. if I'm, you know, dressed nicely and, you know, some Bruno Cuccinelli or you know, whatever it is, and they're taking pictures and I'm in the background, that looks good. But if I'm in all dressed up in my nice thing and I got a bunch of people wearing shorts and Tevas and, you know, T-shirts and baseball <laughs> caps in the back of my photo, then I've got crappy extras in my photos, right. you know, and it, it kind of takes the glamour of a glamorous place away. So, 
you know, I remember when I was in high school, I had a French teacher and he was, he would go like, oh, when you travel, you know, you always have to you have to dress very comfortably because of the cobblest- cobblestone streets and, you know, always wear the walking shoes and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, God, like, <laughs> like back then, <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, that's not going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not, oh, that doesn't sound fun at all. You know, like, really, I just got to dress like. <laughs> I guess I'll never travel again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where can I go where people dress up where you don't have to, where, where there's no cobblestone streets or something? <laughs> right. Yeah, there, there's a lot of studies out there that show dressing up, and I mean, they don't specify really to what level, but they there are studies that show people who dress up to go to work every day are significantly more productive. Yeah, I totally buy that. You know, you you it focuses you if you you know roll out of bed and basically go to work in the same type of outfit, same feeling kind of outfit that you were you know, lounging around in, there's no separation between I'm off and I'm on. You know, I mean, for me, the morning ritual of, you know, figuring out which suit I'm going to wear, which picking out what tie I'm going to put on, you know, by the time I'm dressed and going out the door, I'm like, okay, cool. I got my suit of armor on now. I'm, I'm ready. I'm in work mode. Um, yeah, you know, that, that's why it was so important to me during the pandemic to, you know, when I was doing the, our cocktail show, you know, part of, you know, I'd always put on a suit and tie and put on some outfit to, to do it in. But part of the messaging was for, for the audience was like, don't, don't spend the day in the, in the clothes you slept in. Like, you know, then you're, there's right. really no separation between day and night. And you just get, you know, I get that total ennui of just like depression of, okay, what, what time of day is it? What am I doing? <laughs> you know, where are we? What's happening? Yeah. So I think it's important. Yeah, I mean, and I think it also when you when you and your wife were doing those shows, I think it was also helping people realize that the things that they collect, whether it's suits or you know walking sticks, for example, like whatever it may be, I think it showed people that you can still use those things and, and enjoy them even if you're stuck at home. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a. I'm a big fan of collecting things that you can use. You know, I've got stuff that I do collect that, you know, kind of sits around or I did, you know, anything from like Pez dispensers to <laughs> snow globes to those are the best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, you know, it's kind of entry level collecting, but it's fun, but it just becomes clutter at some point, you know, if it makes you happy and it's up, then that's great. And, you know, that's really fun. And, you know, I click, I mean, anything from figurines, you know, like the action figures, any of that stuff, you know, all the all the stuff we nerds love, love to collect. Sure. Um, that's fun because it, it's kind of there and it makes you happy when you see it. But I think there's nothing better than like kind of getting stuff that you can use. You know, when I started collecting walking sticks, antique walking sticks, you know, it, my, my first thought, the first time I got my first one back when I was in my 20s was like, I want to use this, you know, but back then it was kind of like, yeah, I'm going to look like a weirdo, you know, <laughs> guy in his 20s walking around with a walking stick is a little, you know, a little affected. Uh, not that I should have cared, but I did. Um, but, you know, but over the years collected, you know, I've got almost 100 now, but always make, I, I don't collect any that I can't use. Like if they're too short for me to use, I don't, I don't get them. If they're like kind of bent or, or not in great shape or the to handles loose, I won't get them just because I want everything to be usable. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, otherwise, uh, uh, at some point, the joy is superseded by the idea of just owning something. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Then you're just kind of hoarding, you know, in, right. in, a, in a way, which also there's, you know, it's just something, you know, it's like when you hear about, you know, some famous painting that gets bought by somebody and, you know, they just put it in their 
their apartment and you know or house or whatever it is that that's fine if they see it but you're kind of like oh gosh but you're really hiding that from the world <laughs> you know that like <laughs> these right. things kind of exist to be enjoyed by people you know so there's something sure. kind of sad to me about that kind of thing just getting locked away just because you can collect it right but when it comes to suits they're they're an easy thing to collect and hold on to but do you ever find you know a lot of people have this like one in one out philosophy philosophy and i'm sure you don't have that with suits but is there ever a time where you're like okay i just bought 10 suits i have to get rid of something um i mean it's more my wife is always like okay you got to clean something out but like what happens is you know when i yeah, do clean, do I'll that some of your shoes yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, that's yeah, good for the goose, good for the gander. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, but when, when I've done that just to try to clean out some space, then I've always kind of regretted losing that thing that I gave away because, you know, my grandmother used to define fashion or style as she, you know, said they, they come up with a style or fashion. And when it goes out of f- fashion, they put it in a barrel. And, you know, so they just keep doing that. Every time something goes out of fashion, they, they stack it in this barrel. And then by the time the barrel's full, they turn the barrel over and take it off. And then they just start pulling from the bottom again. And it's so true. You know, I've, you know, I'm 60 years old now. I've seen styles just they just are cyclical you know (laughs) they'll just come in and out of style but they'll always come back and so there's nothing worse than when you're like oh man i used to have the greatest thing like that that you see them selling now you know whether it's anything from like a fringe jacket to a yeah you know pair of shoes or or like you know wider bottomed jeans or, or whatever it is and so I guess for me, it's just like, I'd rather just hang on to it all as long as I got room and you know, I tend to have enough room to do it. But actually, like the suit I'm wearing right now is um, from when Ralph Lauren used to do this black label collection, which was more sure. of a slimline suit. Yeah, kind of like in a 60s, 50s style with a thinner lapel. And I love that stuff. Oh, it's really great stuff. And so I collected, a, 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 had a lot of that that I wore all the time. And then it kind of went out of fashion. The the jackets were kind of too long a little bit. And, and you know, the lapels. Wider lapels came back. Yeah, exactly. You know, Tom Ford brought the big 70s ones back and all that. So, you know, but I, fortunately, I didn't give those suits away, even though, you know, you know it was being, <laughs> being goaded to get rid of them. And <laughs> like, like a year or two ago, I have this tailor, um, named Mario out of Beverly Hills. And I found out from him, he like, he'll, he'll like modernize suits. And so I took all these suits in and had them just cut, you know, cut them a little shorter, just do a little, just enough stuff to make them slightly more, not contemporary, because I don't like stuff that's in fashion or out of fashion. I just, just wanted to be like, just, you know, just look good. Yeah, just gotta look good. Totally. And so I'm wearing one like right now. And it's like, I'm so happy I didn't give these away because now every time I put one of these on, they feel so good. They don't make them anymore. They use really good fabrics. They're super comfortable and they look really good. So, you know, so it, it's, it's, it, you know, it makes it very hard to go like, oh, we'll get rid of this because, you know, I'd say I'll regret it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would assume it's pretty hard when you're on set and making a new movie or a TV show to let the costume designers kind of steer the horse. And I'm sure you have a say in it, but at some point things just have to mesh to the character and, and less to like a personal style of yours. Do you ever yeah. have that, that feeling? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, I, I get really involved with that and I, I have, you know, great customers or costumers I work with, especially my last four movies now has been with um, Renee Kalfas who, you know, did simple favor and got so much you know notice for that. And, um, you know, but that was, 
Blake Lively looking at me in my three piece suit and going like, I want to dress like him, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> I actually, I actually seem to inspire a, a good amount of, <laughs> a good amount of costumes, uh, even Charlize Theron's costume in, in the, the school for good and evil, my new movie that's out now on Netflix. Um, you know, she was looking at me in my suit and goes, like, I, I like that kind of tailoring. And so, you know, we came up Renee and, and the gang came up with, this really cool fitted tailored kind of suits and long coats for her. So I feel like I do get to put my imprint in there, but I, but I, you know, I, I, I love just creating the right look for, for the, for the story and for the characters. But, you know, if we can ever, you know, Renee and I are always constantly like, how can we start a new style? How can we start a new fashion? <laughs> you know, whether right. you do or not, you go, you know, like, Oh, cool. Let's just kind of come up with something that people haven't seen before. So it's like catnip to me. I love all that stuff. That's great. And she also used one of your walking sticks in, in, <laughs> in that as well. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. It was a, yeah, I, you know, I use my walking sticks when I'm directing just cause it's a weird affectation. I like to have it it's easy to point stuff out to people with. But yeah. I had this really great skull one from like a hundred years old. It was like from a medical student or something. And, um, Blake's like, I, I want to use that. I was like, Oh, well, Blake, you know, you got to, you know, you have to know how to walk with one. You can't, you know, you, you, if you don't walk with it right, you look like an old person. Blah, blah, blah. She goes, well, just show me how to do it. So I, well, yeah, you, know, you put it down. With every other... hint. I don't want you to use it. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. I was like, okay, I'll show you. And, you know, you put it down every other step. You don't put it down each time you step down and you have to kind of kick it out and be very, you know, very loose with it. And she immediately got it and looked great with it. And so I was like, okay, go ahead. Now, yes, that's in the movie. But if you, most of my movies now have a walking stick in it somewhere. Like Bobby Cannavale's character has one in spot which is a terrible walking stick by the way it's, it's a big thick cane which i still bugs the shit out of me that that we didn't put on a better one um <laughs> and then in, in ghostbusters bill murray's character has a walking stick uh and then um in uh, school for good and evil so does uh, shelly's throne's character so i'm i'm sprinkling walking sticks all over all over my films that's great you once talked about how judd apatow kind of turned you on to this like re- requesting maybe something that you would like to own instead of a financial gift, if you will, um, for yeah. for an engagement that you do that's not your own. Have you ever gotten a suit or a walking stick for for any of those? Well, I got a suit once. It, it was more I was working on a project uh, with Working Title uh, right after Bridesmaids that I, I didn't end up doing, but I was kind of deep in with them doing rewrites and all this stuff. And, and I was in London you know, living there preparing this and uh, uh it was eric fellner who who runs working title he's you know he said you've been working so hard i really want to you know do something nice for you said i've made an appointment for you to get a bespoke suit on savile row <laughs> i was like what you know i've been waiting <laughs> sure. my whole life yeah all i've ever heard you know is like oh well, the greatest thing you can get is a bespoke suit from savile row so he set it up and i went to anderson and shepherd which i'd never heard of at the time but they're you know one of the most famous to be yeah, totally. You know, they make all, you know, make Prince Charles or now King Charles, as I should say, suits and, you know, but started making all for the military and, you know, beautiful, good tailoring. Yeah. So I went and had that first one made. And I mean, talk about your, your first taste of <laughs> heroin, um, you know, and now I've got a lot of bespoke suits because I've just made the decision, you know, I'm just going to do it because they last forever. That's the great thing about a bespoke suit is it's never in style. It's never out of style. It always looks good and they will let it in let it out, <laughs> fix it, sure. anything for the life of the suit. So it, it's actually, even though it sounds 
you know, expensive and, you know, they're not cheap by any means, but they are kind of like, you know, they, they last forever. They literally last forever. As long as you're the kind of person that just doesn't need to just turn over your fashion all the time, uh, which sure. I, that's definitely not who I am. Well, and I guess the good thing about how many suits you probably have and, and wearing them every day is that they're not getting that beat up as if someone had five. Yeah. Exactly. No, no, totally. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're not workhorses. You know, because the thing about a suit is you're really not supposed to clean them more than like one, twice a year, um, which sounds sure. dis- disgusting. But if you think about it, you don't really, you know, unless you're really sweating your ass off or whatever, you know, it, it's just hard on the suit. It's hard on the, the stitching and on all that. But you can get what you do. You get it what's called a sponge and pressed, which is basically they go and kind of by hand and, and kind of clean it. But, you know, like dry cleaning solutions, very hard on suits. And when, when I first started wearing suits, I would like wear them twice and send them to the cleaners and then notice like, oh, they're starting to fall apart and, <laughs> and the colors are fading <laughs> and all this. And people are like, no, no, you don't. You're you're leg. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Totally. So. But, you know, the great thing about bespoke suit is you're picking out the fabric, you know. I mean, it's it's daunting. Even now when I do it, and I've done it a million times, you know, there's a million kind of fabric books they have. And you're just like, oh, which, God, what should I get? You know, you, like you just flip through them. You're kind of looking for a color or a pattern or something. But, you know, then it's about like, how what's the weight of it? Is it going to be durable? Is it going to wrinkle? Is it not going to wrinkle? Is it, it going to be too hot, too cold? All that stuff. And is it going to be comfortable? And I've, I've got burned a few times. Like you kind of get so into all the stuff and you're feeling it, but you don't really feel it because you don't get to put it on your body. You know what I mean? And it's not until you actually they make it and you put like the pants on and you're just like, oh, these are kind of scratchy or these aren't, you know, some are just so comfortable. And then other ones you're like, oh, crap, <laughs> you know, um, sandpaper. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Kind of a twofold question. One, do you have a suit that you would say is the most sentimental? And two, is there a suit that you're dying to have made that you just haven't taken the, the leap yet on? I mean, the sentimental one for me is probably that first that first one that I got from uh, Eric Fellner, just because of my first bespoke suit. And it is also it's a great suit because there was a guy at uh, Anderson and Shepard named Mr. Hitchcock, who was the original been there forever guy that makes the jackets because there's there's you know there's like people who just make the 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 trousers the pants and then there's jacket people and like the jacket person is sort of that's like the the real artist because you know a jacket is so finicky to get right and you know so this one was made by him and uh so I, i really i do love it you know it's you know i've had it so long now it's been 12 god 12 years and you know you start getting shiny pants. That's the thing, you know, like the seat of the pants start to get shiny just because, you know, they're, you're sitting and moving around so much over the course of the years. That's why you usually, that's what you, you always hear about, like getting, you know, a, a jacket and two pairs of pants. It's because of that. So you don't wear down the pants as fast, sure. but I never think to do that. You now I wish <laughs> I had. Um, and then as far as ones, I mean, there's just so many uh, bespoke houses that I want to, to go to. Um, there's this tailor named Terry Haste that all my friends in England um, from the Rake magazine, he makes them their suits and uh, they're beautiful suits. And there's really, they have a real cool style to them, a little more, a little wider lapel, a slightly more flair to them, which is really cool. So I, I'd like to get one from him, but you know, I, one of my dreams was to have a Sifanelli suit made. Lorenzo Sifanelli, you know, they're out of, uh, it's an old house, but L- Lorenzo. Amazing was, stuff. Yeah, amazing stuff. So you you and we Waco have become 
really good buddies and and he tossed you on the cover of one of the issues of the rake which i'm sure was a pretty big honor for you and i'm sure as well him as you guys have become really close <laughs> yeah he's i mean way is the best and i mean it was it was a huge honor for me i don't know how honored he felt <laughs> having me on there I, I i still joke with him it was probably the lowest selling uh, issue they ever made but um but it was really <laughs> cool to be on there um uh, yeah, I mean, Way's just become such a good friend and and such a great supporter, and we really just kind of really love each other. And, and you know, for my 60th birthday that I just had a couple months ago in Capri, Italy, Way and in and in uh, some of the our group from the Rake, you know, Rake readers, you know, like uh, uh, Sherry uh, Ahmed Rahman, Sherry, uh, who goes as time mechanic on uh, on Instagram, who's sure. You know, the, foremost watch collectors of all time. And uh, uh, Andrew Loren was there and, and our friend Mo Capalata. They, they all came out and they brought me a, a watch, uh, a Cartier, that new Cartier tank, the very small one with the, the black face with no numbers or anything on it. Um, it's amazing. It's fantastic. And it, it's this beautiful little dress watch. One thing I don't have, I collect so many sports watches that I don't have have any real good dress watches. And so, yeah, they gave it to me. It was engraved on the back with the name of our group, La Serenissima, and the date of my <laughs> birthday and all that. So, yeah. So, it's, I mean, Moet is really just, he's the most wonderful guy. Yeah, it seems like he's he's friends with everybody. And, and he did his best to document um, that that birthday party of yours. So it was, it was nice to uh, follow along for a bit. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's an aspirational guy. I mean, I, I look at all the photos of him traveling the world and you're like, God, I wish I was way like, <laughs> you know, I, I think I have fun, but I go like, wow, way really has a good time. <laughs> Let's talk walking sticks for a bit. Yeah. And they're not walking canes until you need them to be. Oh. I, I learned that from you. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of a natural progression for someone who, love suits and essentially collects them in your case to go, you know, then collect ties with them and the pocket silks and, and the lapel pins and watches and cufflinks, et cetera. But mm. I feel like the, the walking sticks kind of takes it to a whole new level. And I'm curious where your love for them came from. Yeah. I mean, I don't quite know, <laughs> to be quite honest. I, I discovered one once, you know, the first time we were in, not the first time, but like the first time I went with my wife to, uh, to London, I went to the this place called James Smith and Sons, which is the like the oldest umbrella store in, in in London. But they also have all these old walking sticks and new walking sticks and canes and everything. Really, um, and we were in there looking around, and I saw this like gorgeous. Well, actually, the first one I saw was actually the first time we went there was this new. It was a cane, really, but it looked like a walking stick. But it had this like fake kind of scrimshaw carved head on it that had a picture of uh, William Shakespeare in the Old Globe Theater, and it was really kind of a comfortable handle that was you know more kind of teardrop shaped. And so I bought that. I didn't know what to do with that. I just thought like, this is cool. Like I just thought it was really fun, and I was kind of like walking with an umbrella. Um, and so I bought that. But then the next time we were in, that's when I saw my first antique walking stick. It was this gorgeous stick that's like a. a Bam, like an old bamboo um, walking stick with this just kind of curved, kind of just a just a curved handle that had this kind of gold cap on the top of it. 
and I, they let me try it. It was so lightweight and so well balanced. I was just like, I love this. Like, I want to walk with this, you know, but I was in my twenties, <laughs> like we talked about earlier. It was like, okay, I'm going to look like a weirdo walking around in my twenties. Um, but I just decided that day, like, I'm just going to start collecting these. And, and when I get older, I'll just start walking with them and it'll just be an affectation. I think I've just always just loved weird old affectations that, that men had of, like walking sticks and top hats and wearing a, a, a cane or wearing a cape, you know, or white gloves sure. or, you know, all that stuff. It just kind of, cause I would always, I always wanted to figure all you know, my whole life is a, you know, as a kid and onward, I always want to figure out like, how do you stand out? How do you do something that makes you different? That kind of shows the world who you are. That's kind of fun. You know, we, you, know you look at women's wares, you know, my mom collected all these fashion magazines and you go like, God, women just got so many different things they can wear and colors and styles and, you know, any like the world's kind of the limit. And, you know, for men, especially back then, it was just you no know, suit and tie. That's all you get, you know, and you could kind of step up your suit and tie game with you know, different patterns and, and colors and all that. But a suit was a suit. So it's kind of, like, well, how do you then dress up the suit? Well, OK, your tie, you can play with your tie. And then so it all kind of grew from there of going like, well, how what can I do to a suit? You know, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll do pocket silks and kind of change those. And then I discovered these these Charvet um, lapel kind of silks. It's like a little flower floret that's made out of you know silk and it's beautifully kind of put together and then it's got this like gold button on the back and you put it through your lapel hole. And so it's kind of like a flower, you know, it's like a silk flower basically. So that, it, it, you know, so it, it just kind of kept adding on, but going like, there's gotta be something more. And that's what it's like, Oh, a walking stick. That's what you could add into it too. And I think it, and it just kind of, I just, I love walking with a walking stick. It's just really fun. It makes sense. You understand why men in the past, walked with them because it just, it's just kind of, you know, you're not leaning on it again, as you brought up and, and I'll explain to your audience, like it, the difference between a walking stick and a cane is a walking stick is something you don't need. And the cane is something you do need. So, <laughs> right. you know, and if, if you're you walking too it, short, it may look like you need it. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're going to look like, yeah, <laughs> the guy trundling down the street with a crooked back. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but but it's fun. There's something kind of jaunty about it. But you got to know how to wor- walk with it, and you got to know how to how to own it when you walk with it. I remember years ago in Beverly Hills, for some bizarre reason, some guy was walking. You know, he was not that much older than me, so he's probably in his 30s at the time. He was dressed really nice, but he had a walking this really thin walking stick. But he was walking with it in the weirdest way. Like I could tell he was nervous walking with it so he was kind of like swinging it back and forth really fast and kind of tapping the ground with it and all this and it, it like it was so unnatural i was like oh man the guy's doing it but he's not comfortable with it so just going like <laughs> okay if you're gonna do it you gotta really like make it a part of you like you own it and you're he just looks feeling. in pain <laughs> yeah he did he looked so like uh, nervous I, it was so it was the weirdest thing i was like if you're gonna do it man just like just do it right <laughs> yeah just don't don't think about it too much yeah, exactly. Just uh, own it the way that uh, Jimi Hendrix would own his guitar when he would play it. He would just, you know, take control. For sure. And so you mentioned you probably have like over 100, would you say now, these walking sticks? Yeah, I'm probably right around 100, maybe a little less. But I got them broken up all over the place. I got most are here in yeah. L.A., but I got some in New York and I got a bunch in London. So, yeah, they're all over the world. Are you sourcing them for your collection on a consistent basis? You know, are you looking at places like eBay and other auction houses or – are you just waiting for the right occasion where you pop into a store and, and find one like the old, you know, when you first found them? Yeah. I, I, now I kind of just lay in wait. Uh, I used to go on eBay all the time, but I had a lot of bad experiences because you would, 
you would get them and like the, the, the top would be loose, you know, and I had a place mm. that could fix them, but it's like, if they're not structurally sound, you know, I don't know. They, they, I just don't like things that aren't solid, you know, or do you have to fix? And then sometimes you'd get them in like just the, there'd just be just enough of curvature on the stick that had gotten warped a bit by whatever, you know, circumstances or that it was sitting in. So yeah, now it's really, I just kind of wait for places to find it. You know, where I got a ton was when I was doing the movie spy, I was living in, in Budapest and there was this, um, this street called Falk Street, uh, which is named after Peter Falk's family. Like, you know, the Falks were famous, I guess, oh, Hungarians. Wow. Yeah. You know, there's even like a statue of him as, as uh, Columbo on the street. Um, <laughs> it's the Budapest version of Rocky. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. It's, it's actually pretty cool. But there's, a, you know, it's, it's a two block long line of, of all these old stores. And they had tons of walking sticks. I mean, there was some that were just walking stick stores, other that were they had a lot of other stuff, but they would they would get them in from all over Europe and, and you know, and, and just uh, like Russia and, 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 and all over the place. And they were gorgeous. And but I could test them out, make sure they were solid, you know, and then so I collect I mean, I probably bought about thirty or forty when I was there over the course of the half a year that I was living there. Now in London there's places over in like Kensington and all this where they still specialize in them. But, but it's amazing. I can go into a walking stick store where there's a million beautiful old walking sticks and not find anything that really interests me. Um, just cause I'm looking for something unique, you know, just kind of a, a normal walking stick. Isn't that exciting anymore because I've got those, but it's like what has a cool head on it, but also has to be usable again. Once, once again, like it has to be something that feels comfortable in your hand. Um, so, you know, so they're getting much harder to find. I was in Budapest doing some, uh, additional photography on the school for good and evil earlier this year and went up and down Falk street and didn't find one walking stick that was, that I thought was any good. So they might've been tapped out, you know, they haven't been made for, for, you know, you, you know, decades and decades. So, you know, there's just not that many and, and, and a, a new walking stick is not really that fun. Sure. So I, I'm, I'm guessing then that you're strictly collecting vintage. Is there a certain era? Was there like a Rolls Royce of brands, you know, to collect from that you're you're looking for in the stores? And yeah, it's more the materials and the and the, what's what the the handle is. Um, but I find most of the good ones are at least a hundred years old. Um, you know, but if they've gone a hundred years and they're solid, I mean, that one that was in in. Um, simple favor with the skull on top. That's an amazing stick because first of all, it's got like snake, like a snake wood shaft on it, which is just hard as a rock and it's really beautiful. And then it's got this, you know, this kind of heavy skull top, you know, cause they were weapons back in the day. I mean, that's, that's what you, you know, you would you know protect yourself. If someone's going to mug you, you whack them with your, <laughs> whack them with your, uh, your walking stick. And so I, I, that one I, I really love. And that actually came from, when I was in, no, I think was I, I think it was when I was in Budapest, or it might have been in Boston. <laughs> One of the two, um, very different places. <laughs> very similar. Um, yeah, exactly. Oh no, it was in Boston. It was in Boston because we found my wife found this store that she liked to buy from that had jewelry and old clothes and stuff. And it turned out the woman's father like was a foremost collector of old walking sticks, and so he showed up in my in my in my uh, hotel room one day like like an arms dealer for, from those movies, you know, where they bring those cases and they open them up and then they like lay the, lay these 
these things out, but it was instead of guns, it was all the walking sticks. And that's where he had that one with the skull. And I was like, Oh my God, and I got that one and um, got a bunch of other ones from him. He used to have a store, I think in like new Orleans that sold them. And then he closed it and just kind of sells them, <laughs> goes, goes town to town selling them. If you, if you want to see them. So that was pretty cool. Amazing. All right. I got a few movie questions for you here before we, and TV show questions rather before we, uh, get into the collector's gene rundown. I had a lot of friends and family that were pretty excited that I was chatting with you today. So they were firing off questions to me. So nice. um, oh, that's nice. let's, uh, let's try and see if we can get some, some answers out of these from you. But um, first one is how hard was it to get through the dinner party scene of the office? Oh, that episode. Oh my God. That was, that was, we laughed so hard. I mean, that's, you know, a lot of those outtakes are out on, out on, on the internet now, especially when he's giving the tour. I watch them the, all the time. Oh, I mean, us with that little tiny TV was, we could not stop laughing. I mean, it took us forever to get through that, that scene. And then that, the crappy table with the, is that pine? You know, all that, it was just, (laughs) but that's what was so fun about working on that show is you're just laughing the whole time. And yeah, I, I always have to put myself way off, way off uh, um, the set because I'll just burst out laughing all the time. It just, yeah. Steve Carell can just reduce me to tears. I mean, as the character, <laughs> anything he does, but especially as the character of Michael Scott is, you know, yeah, it, it was, it was hard and I ruined a lot of takes. <laughs> uh, understandable. All right. What's your, uh, what's your favorite scene from heavyweights? <laughs> now I was only an actor in heavyweights. I was not, uh, sure, not involved sure. in the creative process, but, um, gosh, I mean, the, the the big food orgy is clearly uh, was a lot of fun where we're all uh, the best. with all the fireworks going off and yeah, anointing myself with chocolate sauce. That was really fun because I remember it was just I was just trying to make uh, Judd and, and Steve Brill laugh, you know, by just going as outrageous as I could. So that, that was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you love to work with uh, in Hollywood or, or in your industry that you haven't had the chance to yet? Oh, it's so hard to answer that question because there's so many people I'm dying to work with. I mean, you know, it's the list is as long as my arm. Um, you know, I, I love to work with Meryl Streep, obviously. I love to work with Jennifer Lawrence. I love her. Um, but, I mean, it, it's just hard to say because there, there are so many people that I haven't gotten to work with. You know, Julia Roberts, we've run into each other to parties and you go like, hey, we've got to do something together. You know, So it, it's nice. I'm in a nice position where I kind of, you know, know these people enough where they know my work enough. Um but, you know, every, the problem is every project just sort of dictates to you who should be in it. And uh, you just kind of got to listen to that. Um, but no, the, the list is just too long to, to even mention. In Bridesmaids, uh, the scene when Helen's stepkids walk up to her and she asks them for a ride home and they just tell her to fuck off. Um, <laughs> was, it, was that scripted or did you guys just basically tell her to tell them off and <laughs> no that was that was actually in the script that that was but the 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 girl who plays the daughter was actually she was a, a girl that lived in our neighborhood here in la and <laughs> my 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 wife was friends with her mom and, and she, that girl came over a couple of times i was just like that girl's so funny she just was so funny to me because she was just this really kind of confident kid who just you know had this attitude but was really sweet and i was just like would you want to be in a movie <laughs> and I said, no, okay sure so so yeah so I, I, I get so happy every time I see her in there and she gets a big laugh, you know? That's great. Um, for Spy, you you actually really crafted an, an awesome spy story aside from, you know, the the absurd scenarios and, and the hilarious dialogue. But, you know, James Bond was obviously always the best 
dressed and spy movies always have that vibe. And is that kind of where you drew, you know, a little bit inspiration and, and drew that, you know, I guess what drew you to that genre? Um, you will. I, yeah, I'm a, I've always been kind of a James Bond fanatic and, um, it, you know, for years, you know, would say like, God, if I could do anything, I want to direct a James Bond movie, you know, and then slowly, you know, as my career was going well, but go like, okay, you know, no, no one's ever going to let me direct a James Bond movie. It's just not going to happen. Also because they just don't tend to, to hire American directors for those. They usually want a Brit. But then I was like, well, I work with all these funny women. Why don't I just write my own? And that was the genesis of it, really. It was just like, you know, I just uh, had seen Casino, well, I'd seen Casino Royale, you know, 10 years prior, uh, or not 10 years, probably five years prior. But but Skyfall was out at the time, and that was doing really well. That was the moment I was like, I got to do one of these. Um, yeah, and I was just like, oh, I'm going to write it for, you know, the women I, you know, one of the funny women that I know. And didn't write it specifically for Melissa. I just kind of wrote it, you know, for, for somebody who, could be funny being awkward and then having to come out of their shell. Um, yeah, but I, you know, I knew I could, I wanted to go into those worlds. That's why I wanted to do a James Bond movie. I wanted to go into these glamorous worlds and have martinis, you know, and, and have villains dressed really cool and cool cars and all that. And so right. you know, I was able to put my spin on it of going like, okay, what if a real person goes into this world? You know, how's that going to go? And uh, that right. was really, you know, but I'm very proud of that. That's probably, probably, one of my favorite, if not my favorite movie that I've done, I would say. Yeah, me too, for sure. Um, you get to do the blob one more time. <laughs> Which suit are you wearing? Oh, gosh. Uh, something really cheap if I got to go in the water. I'll tell you. <laughs> 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 yeah, I would, I would have them give me like a real beater suit. Well, that's I I, uh, I did a thing when we were promoting Ghostbusters when we were uh, in England. And uh, they had the, the four uh, women from the movie on the, the – um, uh, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Oh my god, uh, uh, the guy who has people on the couch, and uh, uh, oh my god, I can't believe him. Graham Norton, Jesus. Let, let, let oh, me okay. take that again. She <laughs> take on my old man moment. Um, yeah, so when we were in, uh, we were in London uh, promoting. Um, uh, promoting uh, Ghostbusters and uh, Graham Norton had the cast, the four women on, on the show, but I'm a big Graham Norton fan. So I was like, can I do anything on the show? And I basically said, can, what, if, what if I'm in the the red chair? Can I do the red chair? And they're like, well, maybe I said like, okay, here's, here's what happens. If, if, uh, if they get a question wrong or whatever, you can spray me with uh, slime <laughs> and they like that <laughs> idea. So I said, the only thing is you got to get me a suit because I'm not ruining one of my suits. So they right. got some, some cheap suit from a department store and put it on me but but all the all the ladies really freaked out especially leslie jones was so funny because she when the minute they sprayed her she was like that's his suit he's gonna kill you oh my god <laughs> so she had no idea it was very sweet you're, you're one step ahead <laughs> yes same end of that yeah i refuse to ruin a good suit <laughs> <laughs> last one i know what comes to mind for me when i hear this song but i'm curious to hear what you have to say you're driving in the car and love machine comes on what do you think of first <laughs> <laughs> that I can't believe I actually danced to that in a movie uh, <laughs> and that I almost threw my neck out doing that. <laughs> that yeah, was, sure. Well, it was funny because that when we did that, like originally I was supposed to have a big kind of bigger dance number and it was towards the end of the day and we were running out of time. And so Steve Brill set up this shot where it was kind of like a waist up shot. Uh, and so I was like, Oh man, if I, I really got to make this dance work from the waist up versus, you know, cause I, I had kind of right. like a funny dance. I was going to do from the, from the waist down with my legs. And so that's why I just went into this whole like whiplash kind of <laughs> thing. And I remember just like ending each take going like, Oh my God, am I going to pass out? <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. 
<laughs> All right, Paul, let's finish up here with the collector's gene rundown. Um, mm-hmm. You can answer these questions however you would like, short or long form, and they could be based off of any of the collections you have. You got it. All right. What's the one that got away? The one that got away was one that I had. <laughs> it was this great walking stick that I found in Paris uh, that was this real deco. I was, it was a very thin, beautiful shaft and this this metal head i can't i don't know how to how to describe it It was a handle that was like lattice work almost kind of art nouveau in style very elegant and i loved it It was my favorite stick and i carried it everywhere and uh i was flying somewhere and put it up in the up in the overhead bin and then got off the plane and forgot it and never saw it again (laughs) never saw it again and to this day i'm just like oh where's that stick because whoever has it clearly doesn't care about walking sticks i'm sorry i i I refuse (laughs) to believe believe that some some guy cleaning cleaning the plane is now walking around with a walking stick i hope to god he is but um but yeah oh i want that one back so badly uh, the on deck circle. What's next for you in your collecting? Well, I've been. I, I always have collected this, but I'm kind of stepping it up now with old cocktail equipment. Um, you know, I've always loved old cocktail glasses, and and have collected them. Uh, you know, one of my favorite things I like to collect are highball glass sets, which. They were in the fifties and sixties. They would make these, you know, highball glasses. You know, kind of almost like a you know, like a tumbler, you know, kind of a drinking water glass. It's it's kind of like like a Tom Collins glass, but just more normal glass. But you know, they're straight up and down, cylindrical. But they would put them on sets of of six in a rack, in a metal rack with a handle that you would like fill them up and then you'd walk around your party if you're having a cocktail party and hand out these highballs. Um, and I just love those. Uh, and so I, I collect those. Uh, a lot of them, the one, my favorite ones are made by a company called Culver, which was out of the 60s. And it was, um, they're the ones with kind of very kind of 60s, 70s looking different colored glass with, with like the, the gold, you know, leaf on it or, or just gold kind of embellishments. And those are just fantastic. So I love those. But, th- but now I'm trying to collect more kind of vintage martini glasses i'm actually have one right here that my my good friend um darren the chef uh we we always call him and he's got a a thing on instagram called calico cat i think it is and he just sent me these amazing these two amazing uh, martini glasses that the stem is is a guy the head of a guy with a top hat on and it's the most unbelievably made thing it's from some old restaurant he told me and they're just spectacular he sent me two of them and, and so so i want to get more stuff like this because you know i'm a cocktail uh, a cocktail guy and a, and a martini fanatic uh the unobtainable maybe it's too expensive in a museum or a private collection yeah for me because I, I collect paintings too i love i love original art and any anything that only one exists i love um but the, the painting i always wish i could get and clearly you can't because it's at moma uh is uh, the Philip Glass painting, of, or no, the, the the Chuck Close painting of Philip Glass. Uh, I just think that's it's such a cool painting. You know, Philip Glass looks so cool in it, but it's just, I don't know, just the, how big it is and just the, everything about it. I just, I really, every time I go to New York, I go and look at it and think like, I wonder if I could ever get that. <laughs> and the answer is no. The answer is no. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't know anybody over there who could help you out, but. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> The page one rewrite. So if you could collect anything besides any of your current collections, money, no object, what would you go for? 
I would collect old top hats. Um, they are really something. I have one one that I bought from um, this place in London. This guy, it's, it's called Heather Hetherington uh, Top Hats, and um, he it, it's in a it's in a he lives in a basement apartment in Chelsea, right off of King's Road. It's just a tiny apartment with a, min, a million top hats in there. But the thing about top hats is like, like walking sticks. The good ones are old. You know, you can go to lock and company and get like new top hats and stuff, but they're just not the same. These old right. top hats are just, you know, they're made out whatever it's the beaver fur. I know mean, there's a million different types and you know, they're so well-made and some are t- real tall. Some are shorter. Some are gray. Some are black. And I just think they're just absolutely Gorgeous. I mean, you know, that's an affectation I wish I could bring back. There's because putting on a top hat that fits you because he goes in and, and does it. And, you know, he has people that work for him who then mold it to your head. He's got this old machine that I've been desperately trying to find forever. Uh, I always look online to see if one comes up because it's from 100 years ago. And it was it was like a top hat fitting thing. It looks like a top hat. This thing, but it's a big that's piece amazing. of machinery. Yeah. And it's got all these sticks, these black kind of sticks that are in the shape of this top hat and they're kind of spring loaded. So what you do is then you put a piece of paper in the top uh, on the top of the top hat where there's all these little sticks and stuff that kind of come up. And when you put it on your head, it molds onto your head. And when it does that, it pushes all the sticks so that up on top where the piece of paper is, it forms this almost potato shaped thing that then they trace that and then they take it, cut it out, and then they put it into this other form that then they push around that the piece of paper and they put it into the top hat and then they steam the top hat so that it molds to that exact shape. So when you put it on your head, it fits like it was made to be on your head, like you were born with a top hat on. And it's just incredible. Um, and then he also does a cool thing where he, he molds the brim on the sides up almost like a cowboy hat where he kind of puts them up higher and it just makes it way cooler. So um, yeah, so I would, if I could get just a ton of those, because you know, there's the one I have is like tall, and there's sometimes I wish I had one that was slightly shorter. Um, but I would love to just have a whole ton of those. Who's the goat for you? Who do you look up to in the collecting world? That's a hard one. I'm trying to think because I know people who collect. I almost don't want to say their names because they have like a lot of really expensive stuff. So I'm always afraid <laughs> I'm going to send some robbers to their house or something. But you know, I've got some friends who who collect who have massive watch collections. And I just go, that's really cool. You know, I, I've got a, I, I got way more watches than I, than I should have. Um, I, I do love collecting watches too, but you know, again, that that's the one area where I kind of go like, maybe I should get rid of some of these, you know, cause there's, I don't know, there's nothing worse. You know, we were talking earlier about like making sure you use the stuff you collect. And there's something kind of sad about watches just sitting around, not being used, you know, and I've got, so many that I kind of, I don't have an, I don't have, I don't have enough space for all those winders. So a lot of them will sure. sit, <laughs> you know, sit not unwound, you know, and then some are, are, you know, are pretty expensive and you're just like, Oh God, like, you know, I, I, these should almost be out in the world, you know, where other people can enjoy them. Um, you know, then I, I also, I, you know, when I was younger, I collected guitars. So I still have about 10 or 12 guitars, electric guitars that, you know, my wife's always like, why don't you give these away so that somebody who needs a guitar can learn to play it? And I'm just kind of like, oh, that's actually a, a pretty reasonable thing to request. So, um, so may, I may, I may 
eventually kind of weed out my my watch and my uh, guitar collection. All right, we'll do a uh, we'll do an auction on on Instagram. Get everybody real go. drunk, and then we'll we'll start yes. getting some bids rolling in. <laughs> now you're talking. I love it. <laughs> do you enjoy the chase or the sale more? So the hunt or the ownership? I like the ownership. I actually don't find the chase to be that fun, <laughs> um, you know, because I don't like if you got to either bargain with somebody or if you're just like, is this too much? I'd be spending this. It's all, you know, and then trying to find it. It's always so hard. I mean, sometimes it's fun to go. I love going antiquing and all that. That's it's really sure fun. But but I, I just much rather just have it <laughs> again because I'm going to use it. So, you know it's when you find it, it's so exciting. And then, but then once it's in your possession, you're like, okay, this, this rules. Yeah. And you get to enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. Most importantly, do you feel that you were born with the collector's gene? Yeah, I do. Much to my wife's chagrin. Uh, I just, <laughs> I like, I don't know. I, once I lock in on something, I, I think I've got a little OCD. <laughs> so um, I just become obsessed with it. And, you know, and it's, kind of it, it's fun in the beginning for somebody like my wife go like oh it's so cool we know what to get him but then it's like there's always a point of like okay you've got enough of whatever it is you're you're now into stop getting right. these things <laughs> um but it's just i i don't quite know where that comes from you know it's i mean i was an only child so i don't know if that has anything to do with it or if it's just you know we just appreciate nice stuff and i've always been kind of hate the idea of things getting thrown away, you know, anything that still has a purpose, you know, I always feel that way about people on up, you know, like anything that is just sort of cast aside, whether it's a person or a, or an item that just has a lot of use and life left in it. And that makes me really sad. You know, when I see you know, beautiful old buildings getting torn down or, or, or you find out that something got thrown away that you see a picture of that was so gorgeous and somebody didn't know what it was and threw it away. You know, I, I think, I think as collectors, sometimes we almost kind of see ourselves as, as keepers of, of history and, and beauty and, and, and the accomplishments of past generations, you know, all that workmanship that went into stuff. You know, that's what I love about bespoke suits. Like, those are craftsmen that make those suits. And, you know, there's a whole thing in the bespoke world of, like, there's getting less and less people who know how to do it. And, you know, to see any sort of art form like that go away, you know, whether it's through suits or when you're, in, you know, in an old city and, and you see beautiful carvings on, on, you know, on, on the walls or, or beautiful stonework. And you just go like, God, they just don't do that anymore. That, Isn't that amazing? Think, yeah, it really is. That they would like the people's ability to do that kind of work would get easier over time with the technology and, and the programs that we have now. But nobody is doing that stuff. It blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a lot of craftsmen coming from other parts of the world, you know, who were coming in and bringing these skills in. And, you know, those skills just ultimately weren't appreciated or or didn't, you know, people didn't care about them anymore, you know, because especially when styles come in and out and architecture is the same way. If you go super modern, then nobody wants to see old, you know, carvings on buildings and at the top of columns and all that. You know, it's like when you go to Italy 
and you see these beautiful old villas and then you drive around and you see all these other houses that look really modern and they got these really ugly windows and you're like, ugh, why would anybody want that? But you go like, oh, for them, they're tired of looking at all the old stuff. They're like, give us something new that works, you know? So, so I get it. It's hard, you know, you don't want to kind of judge on that because people got, you know, have to live with this stuff, but you just kind of, it's just sad when it just goes away and, you know, is gone forever. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, Paul, anything you want to plug here before we, we wrap up? Well, I mean, my book Cocktail Time uh, is out now, and it's a perfect Christmas gift. Uh, it's the, called the the Ultimate Guide to Grown Up Fun, and it's a really fun. I mean, it's it's 125 cocktail recipes, but it's much more than that. It's really great advice on how to stock your bar and and, and how to throw a cocktail party, but also just lots of fun kind of memoir-y sort of funny stories in there. So I'm very proud of that. It just came out. And then um, if you want to watch The School for Good and Evil, that's my movie that's on uh, Netflix for the whole family. It's, it's big, big uh, fantasy film. And then I have two shows on the air. Right, well, one show on the air right now, Welcome to Flatch, which is on Fox, uh, which is in its second season. Very, very funny show, kind of in the style of The Office. And then uh, the second season of our show, Minx, which is on HBO Max, uh, is a production now that'll be coming out you know, in a few months. Uh, first season is on HBO Max now, if you want to watch it. It's about the fictional retelling of the origins of playgirl magazine and it's outrageous and hilarious and um there's lots of male nudity (laughs) but you'll laugh it's very very fun so uh yeah i think that i think that's all i can plug right now oh well in artingstall's gin please my gin my gin is out there go to artingstallsgin.com to find out where you can get it and we'll be sure to link all that stuff up so it's easy for everybody to click at once but um excellent Thank you so much for coming on. This has been truly an honor for me. And I know a lot of our listeners will be uh, thrilled to to hear your voice on, on Collector's Dream Radio. Uh, I, I can't wait to come to LA and, and see the walking stick collection and, and learn how to use them. Um, yeah. I probably won't probably won't do it with as much ease as, as Blake Lively did, but I'll, I'll definitely try. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it. I have full faith in you, my friend. <laughs> Thanks so much, Paul. Take care. You too. It's really great talking to you. Cheers. All right, that does it for this episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Collector's Gene Radio, signing off.